All right. Let's just read here again just to, to continue if God has this. In 2 Timothy 1 and verse, uh, well, look at verse 14. It says, not giving heed to, to Jewish fables and commandments of men. Notice what that says. It's, it's, so any, any kind of teaching that is not connected to Christ even if it, even even if it's the word, uh, the actual written word that they're sharing, if it's not Christ, then it's the commandments of men. In other words, it's just the flesh. So, but here the, the Jewish fables, commandments of men, and turn from the truth. You see those things. Now, for any of us, and this is going to go into the what we've been talking about, what it means to be purified, to be purged, God purging us. And, and purifying us with the fire and intensity of his love, the heat and energy and light and intensity of his love uh, to, to purge us. And so the, the purging, the purging, all, you know, it starts in us individually, in each of us in Christ. That, that purging and that purifying process starts in each one of us so that even if the word that's preached has not been mixed with faith. In Hebrews 4, 2, it says, the word didn't profit them not being mixed with faith. And what that means is, whether it's, whether it's receiving the word or those that are preaching it, if they don't have dependence upon Christ, it's a commandment of men. And it turns us from the truth that Christ is. And this goes into why all of us, those that, that God has chosen to do uh, to be the vessels that he flows through with the word of his preaching has to be so dependent, and that's why in Acts 6, 4, those that are leaders have to constantly learn this lesson more than anyone else. If you wondered in your life how constant you have to be dependent and how those trials, those circumstances and situations, if you experience that constancy in your life, it's just simply because I believe in that all of us are chosen vessels. But in terms of preaching and teaching, I believe it's even more necessary for those that he's going to use as his vessels to mix faith. And that means with the word, that means absolute dependence upon Christ. Again, we've said and we've been taught many times that the word in, in 2 Peter 1 and verse 19, that word that's more certain, the, the word of prophecy, but even the more certain word, the more incredible word of Christ being in us is the dawning of that light. It doesn't have anything to do with the will of man in 120 and 21 of 2 Peter chapter 1. It doesn't have anything to do with it. So this is what this is bringing out this morning. And again, in, in Titus uh, 1 and verse 14, it says, not giving heed to Jewish fables, not mixing the law with grace, or all these other things that they came up with, and there's a multitude of them, even besides uh, the legalistic uh, expression and teaching of God's word, but there were all kinds of other things that were mixed in it too that were from the world and caused a lot of confusion in 1 Corinthians 14, 33. But the Jewish fables and commandments of men. You see, man, man any of us, we don't command anyone to do anything. <laughs> Whew, boy, is that a lesson that I've had to learn in, in my life constantly. Because when I don't have dependence upon God, when I don't give myself in continual dependence in prayer in Acts 6 and verse 4, then it becomes my commandment that I want someone else to live up to. I can take the truth, and when I mix my will with it, it becomes a commandment of men. But that turn away from the truth, you see, that turn away from the truth. Now, we can all do that. We can do that in ignorance. I can do that. I have done that in, my, in the ignorance of truth and my growth in grace and knowledge. There's no question about that. But when the light comes on and the conviction and brings it out clearly, then there's my option to instantly, instantly confess it and obey and walk in the light. 
and First John 1, 7, as he is in the light, meaning I, I begin to live in a proper expression of my character. And, and that means that Christ is with me. Isn't that amazing to think that way? That he's constantly with us. And he constantly desires to think with us as his vessels. And so, again, that turn away from the truth. Now, Paul said, and the Holy Spirit had Paul record this about himself and about all of us, that even if we don't abide faithful, and that means constantly dependent. Now, again, when it says that in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 14, uh, even if we, uh, 2.13, I should say, even if we abide not faithful, he abides faithful. Why? Well, because he doesn't change who he is. But we may, because through ignorance, or hopefully it's not rebellion or stubbornness in First Samuel 15 and verse 23, a lack of obedience in First Samuel 15 and verse 22. Hopefully it's not that, but it's ignorance. But none of us know anything like we ought to. In First Corinthians 8, 2, we don't know anything. But the only way that we know it properly is through God loving us experientially through dependence, and that's 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 3. But otherwise, it's just knowledge will puff up, 1 Corinthians 8, 1. And that knowledge that puffs up becomes a commandment of men based upon the traditions of men in Mark 7 and verse 13 and Matthew 15 and verse 6. And it just makes it, it makes it Jesus Christ void in the experience when that happens. And so that's why he said, even if we abide not faithful, he abides faithful. He will never deny himself, you see. And so that means simply this, that God, God, it's God's business to do all correcting. It is the business of the word of God through the Holy Spirit. He does all the correcting, the chastising, the disciplining. He does all of that. And of course, first and foremost, it's extremely most important in those that need it the most, and those are the ones that he uses, his vessels. I can assure you of that. And so, otherwise, we give in to these fables. You know, in a fable, you know what a fable is? It's we live in a pretend world, and in that pretend world, we make something more of ourselves than God himself. It's a fairy tale. It's something that replaces God in the experience, and that's what turns away from the truth. Now, here's verse 15. Now, unto the pure, all things are pure. We said uh, recently, as God said to us, all of us together, to the pure, all things are pure. That simply means that when I function in Christ through, through dependence and I have a proper experience, I see, first and foremost, the purity of who Christ is in me and who he's made me to be in him. That's what I see. But then I see even evil. I can see it in a righteous way without having its negative effect on me. And it's very important for all of us, all of us as individuals, those that are Christ, to understand. Now, we're all his vessels, Christ in us, in Colossians 1 and verse 27. The hope, the guarantee of glory. That's true. But this is extremely important for those, and this is why it seems like if it seems in your life, my gosh, every circumstance and situation, every single thing is teaching me dependence. Oh, my word. Yes. (laughs) Without any question about it. And by the way, that's not going to stop until we see him in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, face to face. And that face to face, that simply means now no more flesh. Not that we're not going to be taught anymore, but we need, that's why we need that right now. Not that we need the flesh in this sense, that the only sense we ever needed is the sense that doesn't make any sense. And God has to bring us to the end of it. That's what he has to do for all of us. And that's why we still have it in Romans 8, verse 9. The flesh is in us, but we're not of it. But once we're with him and for all eternity, we're still going to learn, but there's never again going to be an interference or a distraction. But right now, because then we're going to be, we're going to face him in the light of who he is. That goes into Revelations chapter 3 and verses 4 and 5. We walk with him in white. And that means that's a re- we have a, a, an incredible image through facing him. The purity 
purity, you know, light and fire and energy. We've said so many times, we've been taught, all of us, that love is the active energy of God's nature. And out of that comes the purity of his nature, which is light. The heat and warmth and insulating factor that keeps the coldness of the earth, the world system from entering in and defiling our conscience. Now, so unto the pure, all things are pure. We can see purely. And that means no negative effect. But then it says this, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving. So what defiles us? The lie of an unbelief. The tempting of God. You can't trust him. You, you, you don't trust him for this thing. You don't trust him for that thing. And it defiles the conscience of which is cleansed, of which is our true image, which brings it out, the light, it lights up the true image. That's in Hebrews 10, 1 and 2, which we'll read. They're unbelieving, and then what? Nothing is pure. You know, when we function in the flesh, come on, I mean, is anything pure to us anymore? All the purity is gone. The reason is, is because the conscience has been defiled. Now, you know, even back in the creative act of God as he's recreating the earth for Adam to reign, which Satan lost the rule of, I firmly believe that, and not getting into it in Genesis chapters one, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and there's the difference. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then it says, and the earth was, was void and without form. At the... God doesn't create things like that. That's bringing out not just that it didn't have it, but something had happened, and that was the angelic conflict. Then he's recreating the earth out of already existing materials and getting it ready for Adam. And then he said, and God said, let there be light. Now, let there be light. In other words, let who I am begin to dawn on the earth now. (laughs) That's what it was saying. Because God and, and Jesus said, I am the light of the world, John 8, 12. As long as I am in the world, in John chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, I am the light of the world. And the Lord is our light and our salvation. When, when I function in the light of a proper image, whom will I fear in Psalm 27, 1? So we see that this light, the light is God's nature, which created the sun, the moon, and the stars. It goes right into that whole creative act in 1, 1 through 31. And then it, and the light pervades the darkness. And even that, all the way up to Genesis uh, 2, verses 1 and 2, his finished work and, and, and his Sabbath rest, it's bringing out man's spiritual condition. <laughs> even before Adam fell, it's showing that. And so what this is, what this is for us is, See, you see, unto, uh, unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind, notice this, their mind and their conscience is defiled. Something's there that never should have been. Something is there. And that's what happened through the fall. Whether we got the conscience as a result of the fall, I, I tend to believe that, we, we, that, that, that Adam and Eve had it, but then it became defiled. It became defiled. And some, there's, there's arguments on that thing, and we don't want to get into that. That's just, I just happen to believe it that in my, in my studies uh, throughout, the, throughout the years. And so again, and again, when I say studies, uh, this is the Holy Spirit teaching me things that I would not otherwise even begin to try and know or figure out. And so here, even their mind and conscience is defiled. Now listen, so when I have a defiled conscience and it's not been purified by the separating process of the word of God in John 17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And that is Hebrews 4, 12, separating the soul from the spirit. So that not man under, under Satan is not in control, but God is. He's God conscious. And he doesn't live as a dichotomous being. Everything about himself and his physical body, that becomes the occupation of us. In some form, it becomes that for all of us, every single one of us. Now, when we have that a defiled conscience and our mind and our conscience becomes defiled, then all I can do is profess I can declare certain things about the scriptures, but do I experience them? 
I can declare my position, and that's right, but do I experience it? And this is what this is teaching us, uh, all of us, as God, the Holy Spirit's teaching us this morning, that they profess that they know God, but in works. And what a, when I don't function in Christ, what do I function in? That's Romans 8, verse 4 through 8. I function in the flesh, the works of the flesh. And they, in Romans 7, 18, and John 6, 63, they profit nothing. And what that means, the nothing there, is 1 Corinthians 13, 2. If I have not love, and for us, experientially, it profits me what? It's nothing. Do you see? So my profession outside the light of God's love, my profession is nothing is pure. You know, what's the sense? Nothing is pure. Nothing makes any sense. Of course it doesn't. Without, the, without his love that sends out his light to bring us back into his love, of course it doesn't make any sense uh, to any of us at all. They, so all we do is that we, we, we can profess that we know God, but in works, what? What do we do? We deny him. I don't need him. I need something else. I don't need to be uh, where God has called me inwardly, and I mean that inwardly. And so when I leave inward intimacy and fellowship with him, when I do that, what am I? I I'm denying him. I deny him his proper place in my life. I deny him. Oh, Lord, in my case, please, I don't want that. To deny you, uh, to deny the person of Christ and all the work that he has accomplished to his Father in propitiation and then towards me as my substitute who has completely reconciled me to God and removed all distance between God and me positionally. And oh, how Christ now, because of what he's done, desires this intimacy, and it's based upon a right that he has to have that place in me, every place, because he has first place. That's brought out in Isaiah 45 and verse 23, and that's brought out in Philippians 2, 9 through 11. According to God's word, the Holy Scriptures. So they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him being abominable and disobedient. Do we see that? What's a profession? All a profession is without a proper confession being rightly related and, and right with God, all a profession is is a manifestation of disobedience. That's all it is. It's all it is, disobedience. And unto every good work, now when it says this here, and every, every good work, reprobate means to be disqualified. Every good, every good work. That good work is the work that God has done for each of us as individuals. That's brought out in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, whereunto he has ordained that we should walk in, the, in our steps should be in the work that he's accomplished in us as individuals. Everything he did for us was very individual for each and every single one of us that make up his body. <laughs> and it's really amazing to, to see these things the way that he would have us. But we become disqualified in terms of being the vessel that manifests them, although they still may be true positionally, but we miss the experience because we deny him based upon a profession that has to do with a defiled conscience. But positionally, positionally, we do have this. In Hebrews 10, 1, for the law having a shadow of good things. So what does that mean here? Is that just the 10 commandments in Hebrews 10, 1? No, listen. That's not just the 10 Hebrew words in, Hebrew, in Exodus 23 to 17. It's not just those it's talking about. When it says this, for the law having a shadow of good things, all that teaching was, was just a shadow, but there never would have even been a shadow. There's no such thing as having a shadow without substance. And Christ is the very substance of all of that as the antitype of all those types of this kind of teaching. And so what this does, what it's saying here is that law here having a shadow is, is simply this, 
having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image. You see, this is the flesh living again, not in who they are in Christ, Romans 8, 1. There's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. There's no guilt, there's no shame in a proper position to normal Christian life. Never. And that's why the, that's be, that's why for now, between the position and the experience, there's a lot of purging and purity and purging and fire of his holiness going on. And that's what trials do in First, First Peter 1, 7 and Job 23 and verse 10. It brings out the gold, the Christ that's in us, and it brings it out through its constantly, through being brought out uh, through redemption, which always speaks of silver, silver there. And so to see these things uh, is, is, is just tremendous to understand them this way. But the law here is what it's saying is there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ, period. Verse two, for what the law could not do, right? So we, are, we have been delivered, right? So what have we been doing? For the law of the spirit of life, this is Romans 8, 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from what law? The law of sin and death. That's this law. You see, that profession without a proper experience, it's just this death. Death, death profession It's not a proper confession. You see, everything about that we have in Christ is a proper confession, never a profession. You see, that would be the equal of Romans 12 and verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Let love be without pretending. You can't, listen, we don't have to pretend. God loves us, even when we're disobedient. We don't experience it because God can't fellowship with sin based upon Habakkuk 1 and verse 13. His eyes are so pure, cannot look upon sin. And so we see that very, very clearly in the scriptures. They, they get in the way. So the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, you see that law, and that it was weak through the flesh. That's the flesh trying to take commandments that Israel couldn't even keep that were only given to the Jews in Exodus 19 and verse 8 and Exodus 24 and verse uh, 3. They were only given to the Jews. You see, us as the church, heavenly people, the law was never given to us. But the flesh will go right back to that and make a false profession, which is completely evil, by the way. <laughs> because this doesn't have to do with the goodness that Christ is in us in Romans 8, 28. That's why all things work together for the good to them that love God. And that just speaks of our obedience. Our obedience is returning his love to him because it's his love that begets our love. It's his love that creates love in us for him. And that's, that's crystal clear, very, very clear in the scriptures in 1 John four ten. Here in his love, not that we loved him, but that he sent his son, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for us. Now we love in 419 because he first loved us. And so the law having a shadow of good things to come, not the very image. Do we see that? We lose the image, our proper image. The image of things can never with those sacrifices. Do you see, that's why even... Uh, what does God want with us now that the one sacrifice of Christ has accomplished everything in Hebrews 10, 10, Hebrews 10, verse 14? He's accomplished everything. What's, what kind of a sacrifice can I bring to God without a proper confession? This is the profession of the flesh that I bring to him. That's why it says in 1 Samuel 15, 22, God is not interested in sacrifices. He's interested in obedience. That's it. In any of us. That's the only thing he's interested in. And that's his love being returned. So they can never, with those sacrifices, which they offered because their will wasn't involved, never was submitted, year by year, continually make the come as thereunto perfect. In other words, complete. A, a proper image based upon Christ, who being the very image of God in the most obviously exclusive sense, the son of God, then putting on humanity, the son of man, so that now he could be to each of us, and he is our proper image. Could never make them complete. You see, there's no completeness without confession. 
And without a purging, without the purity, you know, all through, and you'll see this in 1 John 4, 17 and 18. There, there's no fear in love because love, perfect love, that means love that's completed everything about me, casts out fear because fear is torment. Oh, to live in a profession and constantly have to deal with torment, a false one. Do you see? That's why all through the scriptures you see light. There's heat, there's fire, the fire of his holiness. Do you ever read in Revelations 1 and verse 14, Jesus Christ, his eyes, it says, were as a flame of fire. That goes into consuming everything, even at the Bema seat that we functioned in, obviously. He's showing us what it accomplished in 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15, and in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 with Romans 14, 10 and 12. It goes right into that. Those are the Bema seat. Uh, verses, which is, is not a judgment seat. It's an evaluation, a manifestation seat. And, and it's beautiful. But all through there, you see it. Our God is a consuming fire, Exodus 20, verse 5. Our God's a consuming fire, Exodus 34, and verse 14. Our God is a consuming fire, in Deuteronomy 4, and verse 24, in Hebrews 12, and verse 29. Our God is a consuming fire. And Listen, it's already been done in opposition, but what is false a profession in the flesh in a, in a wrong experience, a wrong image, he comes in and through the fire and purging, he purges it. He's, he's a fire. All through in Leviticus, look at Leviticus. I believe it's the sixth chapter, 12 and 13. If not, it's in Leviticus <laughs> And, and even in the 10th chapter, where the fire was never to go out on the sacrifice, on the altar. It was never to go out, that fire and purity, the purity. Because that's what purges everything and reduces it down. See, when you have, we have Christ in us, he's the gold. And we've been redeemed, the silver. And, we, and then we have all these precious stones. The precious stones there is the fruit of the Holy Spirit that he brings out that Christ has accomplished in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And when you put fire to that, it just brings out the purity and just, it just does away with anything that clings to it that's impure that would defile the beauty of that gold, silver, and precious stones. So you see, that's what God is preparing us for even now with this purging where our conscience is purged in Hebrews 9 and verse 14 from dead works, the flesh, false professions, so that we can serve God right with a proper image. Proper image. This goes into these things. And that's why, that's why our, con our conscience needs to be constantly cleansed. Listen, that goes into very, very beautifully the, the type of the heifer. Remember, that was, that was the only female sacrifice. And in the type there in Numbers 19, 1 and 2, it was Christ himself, and that spoke of his submission. He won our submission through his to the Father. He always, in John 8, 29 and Romans 15, 3, pleased the Father in everything, always. And so he's the red heifer, and that speaks of absolute sub submission where that, that we, they would be cleansed. And that is what Jesus was bringing out in John 13, 1 through 10. The feet needing to be cleansed. Our proper walk based upon a cleansed conscience. And when the conscience isn't cleansed, I don't have a proper walk. And when the walk isn't proper and it's not his steps in 1 Peter 2 and verse 21, his steps that, that God has ordained in Psalm 37 and verse 23, then if that's defiled, then a purging comes in. <laughs> and that's what Jesus' prayer was. Sanctify them. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Now, sanctification is something that we instantly got with a number of other things the moment we received Christ as our Savior. Instantly, a plethora of innumerable things that he's going to show us for all eternity and their unbelievable effects. But we were when we received Christ, we were separated from the old man, crucified, Romans 6, 1 through 6, and then all our sins were separated from us, Removed in Psalm 103 and verse 12, as far as the east is from the west. And then we were positioned or set in Christ. 
That's positional truth. Now it's to be experiential. We're learning it. We said yesterday, we learned two things. That's why it's necessary and it's okay. And many times it's, it's best for us to be alone with God because that's when he does the most. But it makes it important to come and hear the word and not just blow it off. In Hebrews 10 and verse 25, not forsaking yourselves together as the manner of some is, because then we take, he's able to bring this truth into us and then we go and then he begins that effective work that only he can do in us. And there's two things. We need to be alone so that he can teach us what we're not like when we live in the flesh without condemning us. That's the Holy Spirit, a proper teacher, the only proper one. And then shows us instantly when we're right. We, we make the adjustment through grace in James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 6. And instantly we do that, we're right back into a right relationship with him. And this is this purging, purifying process. And that's what Jesus was teaching. He was teaching, he was teaching right there. And even in, in uh, John 13, verse 10, when Peter said, no, wash me all over. He said, no, you've been washed once. That's positional truth. But you need a constant cleansing, a constant purging. See, the fire comes in of his holiness. And the fire is his love and justice, which is never separated. And it comes in and cleanses us. Because we have been justified positionally, cleared of all guilt and condemnation. And so when that attaches us to us through the failure of the flesh, then the word comes in and begins to separate. There's nobody like our, our God. There's no one like our precious Savior. There's no one like our teacher, God the Holy Spirit. There's none like them. There's no one like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, when my conscience isn't cleansed, and this is going to be in a practical sense, when it's not cleansed, then what do I do? I keep trying to offer things to God in the flesh to try and gain back the peace that I do not have, Isaiah 57, 19 to 21, the peace that Christ is already in me positionally in Ephesians 2 and verse 14, that peace that he is in me already, and that peace that I have with God in Philippians 4 and verse 7 begins to, it's not something that is experienced. Then in comes the purging. Instead of trying to offer the flesh, I'm already, I'm already positioned righteously, because Christ is my righteousness before God in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 and 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30. He is my righteousness. In 1 Peter 3.18, he was the just dying for the unjust that he might bring us to God. And he did. That's our position. Now he's bringing us back. He's bringing a right experience with us. This is where we're growing. We're his children. And we're growing in grace in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. And so then it says, then that the worshipers once purged. You see that? Purged. That's, that's the fire of his holiness. It's, it's amazing. The fire of his holiness. The, 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 his love that convicts us. That's the fire and heat and warmth of his love through the light of the word that Christ is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he does the separating, sanctifying thing. And that's why he said to Peter, you know, once, once you've been, you've already been, your whole body's been washed. You just need to have your feet cleansed. You, ha you need to have that. And, and it's, it's quite a tremendous thing uh, to understand these things and, and then to continually to grow in them. But then the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of what? Since. What's he convict, convicting me of? You're living in something you're not. You're living in not the image that, my, that cost my son his life to me for you. <laughs> and it's not who you are. And, and so God does this beautiful work. He, he does this continual beautiful work through the convicting of the Holy Spirit, which is a, quite an incredible thing to understand. And we see them in the light of the scriptures, the light of who Christ is. We see them once purged. But in verse 3 of Hebrews 10, but in those sacrifices, there's a remembrance, again, made of sins. You see, that's the, where the enemy wants us to live in the legalism of the flesh. You can't, see, now you did this, now you have to do something. No, 
We need to read uh, Romans 11, 5 and 6, uh, uh, those, even those first eight verses in Romans 11. We need to read Romans, the, the fifth chapter, 1 through 21, reading Romans chapter 1, going into, going into position and proper experience. So when you see Romans, the fifth chapter, that's positional truth. But to have it experientially now, we have to have teaching, and that's Romans, the sixth chapter. But then it's still the flesh that can't take that teaching apart from Christ. That's the seventh chapter <laughs> of Romans, where he has to bring us to say, finally, in the flesh, in a, in a wrong, evil profession, Oh, wretched man that I am. Is that the man in Christ? No. Oh, wretched man that I am. He doesn't, and this is where he has to bring us to this place. We mentioned some of this yesterday. God has us alone with him because he's bringing us down to completely reduce us in self-help or self-hope, not only in ourselves, but in others. We said it yesterday. Sometimes sincere Christians that, you know, that honestly, that may mean well, but not thinking properly in love, think that you don't need to be alone. And they think you need, you need to be surrounded by others. And that's a good thing, Christians that love you, yes. But it's necessary to have proper love to be alone with God. So it makes it so important for us to function, it's extremely important for us to function in our proper place. And our proper place has to do with a proper experience. A proper experience has to do with a purge conscience. And so as we wrap this up this morning here, again, it says, but there's a remembrance made again. That's the enemy. Trying to get the flesh. Trying to use legalism. Trying to use the law. Legalism is just trying to use the scriptures without Christ. Without the Holy Spirit. We can do that. We're in Christ positionally. His heavenly people in Ephesians. In, in the first three chapters of Ephesians. We're his heavenly people. But we can live just like the Jews again. When we say again, I won't do it again, God. I, I promise never to do it again. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. No, go back to a wretched place, not in Christ. That's why we need to get in Romans 7. That's the alone time. All these thoughts, this hard, these bad thoughts. Oh, God, I hate them. But I'm, that's Romans 7, uh, 13 and 14, 15, the things that I don't want to do. And that's what he's teaching us. And separating, isn't it? And once he comes in and cleanses us with his love, we're free. Oh, it feels so good. There's a brokenness and now there's a flow of his love through the light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, beholding his face. Not so much in a glass, in a scripture, and we do need those in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, but now we are facing him in our experience in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. And then he lights us up. And that does away with all the shame. And he, lit, he's, we, he lights them up, it says in Psalm 34 and verse 5. He just comes in and he lights us up and we're free again. And now I can be who I am in Christ. I can, oh. And I can allow him to be who he is in me. And when I allow that, then that allows him to allow me to function in him. And in that love, I function towards others. And I love. And happy are you. You see the cleansing conscience and how it brings in true happiness and joy. That's, that's John 13, 1 to 17. Happy are you if you do these things by knowing them. And then what is that in 13, 34, and 35 of John? You love others the way I've loved you. And you just don't pretend anymore. You pretend. Well, I'm going to pretend that God loves me. I know I'm living in sin. I know I shouldn't do it. James 4, 17, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. But I still know God loves me. Do you? Do you experience it? Do I? I know I don't in the flesh. And so this is very important as we close this this morning because until, until he's my guide, God is my guide, and on Psalm 48, 14, he's our guide till our death, and our death in Ecclesiastes 7, 1, is this the door to face him forever? <laughs> That's what Paul was saying. For, to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Philippians 1, 21. He, he, he had all those, all those scripture, beautiful scripture truths were in his mind when he was saying that. <laughs> 
uh, death for the believer, it's not the end. It's only the, the eternal uh, beginning of no interruption. We already have it now. We have the eternal life that Christ is in us in 1 John 5, 11, based upon John 17, 2 and 3. We already have that. But now, I experience, but now then, without any interference, distraction or disturbance. And so the thing for us now, though, is, is when he's not my guide with a cleansed conscience, if he's not, through those vessels that he uses in Hebrews 13, 17, If not, then my circumstances, my situations become my guide. Negative people, macrothumia, evil people, and my certain negative circumstances and situations, hupomone, those, uh, those is what the love of his, the patience of his love does away with. Otherwise, they control me. They tell me who I am. The enemy starts to tell me who I am and what I'm not based upon what I do and what I don't do. About Galatians 5, 6, it's not what you do or what you don't do. It's not circumcision or uncircumcision, but it is a faith dependence that expresses itself through love. In other words, when I depend upon God through faith dependence continually, it gives him the opportunity to express that love to me based upon a true image. Boy, I'm glad I'm recording this one today. This is so amazing to me right now. This is so humbling for me and so working in a beautiful brokenness in me. I just completely submit, just submit my will, just receive. And it's such a beauty uh, the way this is. But if not, if he do, I don't have that love through the light of the scriptures, then my I become occupied with my circumstances, my situations, my being alone, and it's just the flesh. I stop short. Instead of being occupied with Christ and that full grace that he already is in me and in you. And if you can't, if you don't have a cleansed conscience, nothing is clear. We have a muddy image. That the muddy image for the believer that acts as an unbeliever experientially is brought out in Isaiah 57, 20 and 21. It's the mud. It stirs up all this muck and mire. All this. See? Nothing be, is clear. But, it, but what is our business? Is my business to, have, to get into the business of someone else? You mean, is my business, say, say God has graciously called certain ones to be pastors and teachers in Ephesians 4.11. Is, it, is, it, is the result of that, that gift that they, they've been given so that they themselves are involved in other people's business? Absolutely not. Then you, then you make yourself their authority and there's no love there in the flesh. No, sir. These are lessons that I've had to learn, uh, really. But again, that, that Christ, Christ is the head. And until that happens, until that happens, until there's a purging, until there's a purging, then, then, I, then it's just the flesh and legalism. We're to be occupied with his person. It's our business. It, it is our business. It, it is my business. This is, what, this is what 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 is teaching. And, 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 and be, so that we keep people out of verse 3. Because there's going to come a time when they won't hear. They're going to have itching ears and go everywhere. I've seen it, too. I've seen, seen it, too. I've seen it in my life, and I see it in the lives of a lot of young people, too. They get itchy ears. So they want to go. They don't want to hear truth where God's called them. So they go and want to go somewhere else and have itchy ears. And you may think that everything is fine with them, and they, they seem to be peaceful. Yeah, for a time until God brings them back. To a proper place. That's to himself, by the way, now. I want to make that clear. Sometimes he has to get those pastors and teachers back in their proper place so it can be Christ to place others in Christ and not in them. And that's what Paul is saying that in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 4 and 5, your faith doesn't, is not in us, but it's in Christ. Your dependence is in Christ. And that's why we preach Christ, not ourselves, in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 5. And, 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 and if my conscience isn't cleansed as a pastor teacher, that's all I'm going to do. I'm going, to, I'm going to preach myself with the scriptures. 
So we need to be occupied with Christ, with his grace and the full grace. The only way that happens is with a cleansed conscience, purifying fire, separating process. And we don't have to worry. See, we'll worry, and what will cause worry in the Christian is based upon their circumstances and situations being their guide. Sometimes we don't take steps of faith because of fear. I'm, I'm being very honest with you. All because of natural choice. That's crystal clear. That is very clear. Of natural choice. We don't take those proper steps. You see? We don't do it. And because we fear, there's fear in the future. And there's fear in the future because there's present fear. There's past fear. But we've been delivered from all of that. Our only future is, is that we're on our way to be with Christ forever. That's a sealed, done deal, period. That's our eternity. So he, did he leave out time? There's a, there's a Latin thing. I don't usually like to get into it. They call it a fortiori. God having done the most, will he not already, will he not even finish the little? Well, he's going to finish the little. It's based upon the most that he's done. He's already given us Christ. Now he's working that into our experience. And there has to be a consuming fire. Our God's love and light is a consuming fire. And it consumes whatever is not of Christ in us and who we are in him. And so that's our future. It's a future of glory. And this has to do with God's will that's been established positionally. And now my will, he has to establish it in submission to his unchangeable will and not meddle with them that are given to change. In Proverbs 24, verse 21, that starts in us. <laughs> and so knowing that, that's, that Christ, nothing but for us is glory. We're on our way to being to glory. We have the down payment. We have the down payment in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 22. They call it the earnest. The earnest is down payment. That's the Holy Spirit in us, the proof that we're not our own in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. And, I, and when my conscience is defiled, the enemy convinces me through, through lies that I am my own and I got to do something about it. When, when without Christ in John 15, 1 through 5, I can't do anything. And so thank God for these truths they all abide in us spiritually, in our spiritual self. Nothing to do with the soul. When the soul takes precedence over the spirit, that's where we forget God and function in a defiled conscience. And that's where the purging, purifying fire of his love through the light of the scriptures comes in and begins this separating, sanctifying process. We already have been sanctified positionally. Now he's doing it in progressive growth in grace and knowledge and preparing us for our face-to-face -face meeting with him and getting us ready to fellowship with him individually for all eternity in Revelations 2 and verse 17, to have that corporate fellowship that's brought out very beautifully in Revelations chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. We're all going to be around offering sacrifices of praises to Jesus Christ, to God, to our God, Jesus Christ, and to God the Father. It's a beautiful thing. There's nothing like the Father's love. When I have the Father's love, because he's my Father, not the devil, in John 8, verse 44, oh, how the, the devil likes to father us through his lies. Tell us who we are and who we're not. Tell us what we need to do. Tell us what we can't to do. In John 8, 44, he's the father of all lies. No, we have our father in, in John 20 and verse 17. Jesus said, I'm going to, to, to my father and my God, and I'm going to your father and your God. And what that brings out is father, he's a, he's a loving father, but he also acts as a governor over us, having to do with, with proper conduct and improper conduct based upon character. And so he is our father, and that's why we cry it out in, in Galatians 4, 6 and 7, and Romans 8 and verse 15. We cry out, Daddy, Daddy, help, help. And God does, but the only way he does is he has to humble us. No help comes. No clear conscience comes without being humbled. So that grace is now, grace we're now occupied, and that's the only place where his love flows through the light of the scriptures that purges and cleanses us, and just like this. I saw it yesterday in me. I saw it in others yesterday. They just, whew, 
people, they, they, they're going through, like we all do, we're going through things, and then we come and we hear the word and it purges, and now we're free, and now we can just enjoy him. <laughs> in Romans 5, 11, enjoy in him, enjoy in one another, and not know any of us after the flesh, in 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 16, but know them in the newness of a proper image, in 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 17, and now now we have company, true company, true fellowship, true oneness. True oneness in John 17, 11, 21, and 22. True oneness of the body in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. We, we truly do have that. Now we have proper company. We're with the proper ones. We're with proper ones. And the proper ones are the ones that we, can, that we actually have an exchange of the life of Christ. And we're with them. And now, now... Isn't it the most incredible thing? Listen, to have a purged conscience, to have a clear conscience that if we're completely dependent upon him. And being dependent upon him, he's constantly revealing to us our eternal portion that each of us have in Christ. And Christ desires to fill it now as we grow and then come to see him in his fullness. And Lord, we thank you so much for your precious word this morning. Thank you so much, God, that you've never failed us. Oh, you're always faithful and true. You're always true and faithful. In Revelations 21 and verse 5, in Revelations 22 and verse 6, you are faithfulness, you are truth, and the greatest manifestation of the Godhead was brought out in Christ our precious Savior, who deeply desires through the power of the Holy Spirit to constantly manifest that to us with a cleansed conscience because that's where he can manifest it towards us and in us to bring us to a proper uh, image that we have. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You've never failed and that you always maintain the truth and witness of your testimony to who we are in Christ. You never remove your eye from the righteous in Job 36 and verse 7. You always know who we are because, because Christ, he is the grace and truth that you've given to us. Father, thank you so much. And thank you that we can trust you now in time, having dealt with our eternal future, that we can, the thing that we must do, and this is John 3, verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. That's the separating, purging, sanctifying process. We must only leave all to God. Trust him. Trust in his love to guide us. In Jesus' name, amen.